Welcome to the Smallholder Food Business Development Institute, episode number 79. And today we are talking with Sheila Austin, and she's an entrepreneur down in Florida. Welcome to the Smallholder Food Development Institute podcast, where we serve up truth so that you can build the profitable, sustainable food business you've always dreamed of. Now here's your host, Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele. Hello, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I am so excited for this podcast because I have invited Sheila Austin from Florida to come onto the podcast to talk to you about her journey uh, within sustainable community solutions around food. And so Sheila, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you're all about? Mm -hmm. Certainly, my name is Sheila Austin. I am the owner of Red Boot Goat Farm. Uh, it is in Gainesville, Florida. I am also a University of Florida student and University of Florida employee, and I'm currently in the Masters of Entrepreneurship program at UF. So that's amazing. So did you get to the entrepreneurship program because of your work in the food industry? Absolutely. Um, we, I grew up on a small sustainable farm in a very um, poor county in Florida, rural Florida, just north of Gainesville. And we had hogs, we had beef, we had um, all kinds of fowl, and we had dairy goats. And we consumed everything that we uh, produced. We also had a very large garden we canned. And I got older, uh, started college, and moved to Jacksonville and got married and had children. But I've always wanted to get back to Bradford County and be in that rural setting. Um, we had some property still in Bradford County, and I approached my family. I said, look, this is already paid for. We're not doing anything with it. Why don't we try to do some agricultural enterprise on it um, and, and help out everybody in the family? And so we decided that because we had raised dairy goats and we knew that there was in our area um, a demand for meat goats, we decided, okay, we've done goats before, let's, let's do this. And so we, we spent a lot of money and a lot of energy um, getting the land back to where we could use it, purchase goats, and we failed big time. And the reason we failed is because we didn't approach it as a business. We didn't say who is going to be, who's going to be our, um, our market. How are we going to get the animals slaughtered? If we have a sizable volume, who are we going to sell that meat to all of that? We didn't think about in the beginning. And so, uh, we spent a lot of money, wasted a lot of money. Um, and it was kind of a hard lesson and, this program became available at UF, an entrepreneurship program. My background's in regulatory affairs, but I, I don't like, I don't want to say I don't like to fail, but I don't like to fail because we didn't do something we should have, and that is uh, approach it as a business. So I, I decided to enroll in the entrepreneurship program so that we can resurrect this business and, and try it again. That's so amazing. So can you talk to me a little bit? You know, this is kind of a twofold question then. Okay. What do you wish you knew when you started out? But then the other side of that coin is, 
what did you learn from the failure? Sure. Um, from, and, and actually, they're, they're, they're both connected to the same thing. Um, not learning as much, not putting the energy into what the business of livestock production would be. From the beginning, the, from, from being able to successfully uh, grow and manage a herd to how do you become profitable? Who, who do you need to engage to um, be able to sell what you have? Uh, we knew of a local custom exempt slaughter facility, but they're not always available, especially during hunting season. Um, and so not having a, a complete understanding of what it, what it takes to have a meat goat business from production to being able to sell the meat and who your market is. That was um, something we, I wish we had known before, before putting a lot of money into some, and effort into something. But I think the second part of your, your question was, um, what, do you, what do we wish we had known? And what was the second part? Yeah, what did you learn from the failure? Hmm? Oh, that, that we did need to put energy into um, approaching this like a business. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, uh, yeah, that's, 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 I mean, I think that's super interesting. I love that question. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time thinking about this, about who do you need to engage to sell your product? From the beginning, because if you have a whole bunch of product, yeah, I, I, I make this very current analogy. Everybody went into hemp so that they could, so that they could um, produce CBD. But there were acres and acres of hemp grown and then nobody to process it. Right. And then there became a glut. So the prices fell. And so it's the same thing. Whatever, whatever food production you're in, whatever part of that, you have to know kind of in the beginning what's the downstream. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really, I think that's really incredibly important. I mean, I've talked to so many people that really say, well, if I build it, they will come. Right. And I don't think that works. And I don't think it works in anything. I mean, they made right. a movie out of it, but. <laughs> yeah, but that was a movie. It was, it was Hollywood. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And so that's, I, mean, I think more than anything else, that's the single thing is, I wish we had approached it as a business and we had done the homework and talked to other people doing it, other, in, in meat goats, okay, it's not huge. So we could have talked to um, beef producers, we could have talked to um, our local farmers markets and other people who were um, growing grass-fed, clean meat to see what the challenges are. So, so edu our own personal education um, really, we really needed to devote some time to that and we did not. That is super interesting uh, on your own personal education, which then, okay, so then what led you to where you are in your work in food in feeding your community? Um, Great question. As, as a student, um, I've been working on a business plan since I started. 
and it was for Meat Goat production. And the University of Florida had a student big idea competition where you write your business plan and you have to pitch it at the end. And I ended up getting second place in that. But remarkably, as, as any business, not just this business plan for this competition, but as any business, you have to continuously iterate. You rarely start, you, you rarely end up with the business you think you're gonna end up with. And as I went through this, I thought, okay, what didn't we think through? What is the sticking point? What is the challenge that livestock producers have, small livestock producers, independent livestock producers? What is, the, what is the number one challenge that they have? And it's having access to USDA slaughter. That if you, you can have a herd, but if you can't get it to retail because you, you can't have it slaughtered under USDA, then, then you're not maximizing the value of the herd that you have. And so in thinking about where an opportunity for me might be in this uh, production cycle, um, the ability to provide um, mobile slaughter, whether it's custom exempt, not USDA, or exempt in the same unit and put it in the spaces where these small farmers are, Mm -hmm. that became the focus of my business. And so it, it moved from frank uh, Miko production to what can I provide other small farmers to make them successful as well, to help them move their product down the line. That's so interesting. And how are you? So tell us, I mean, for heaven's sakes, give us your pitch and tell sure. us. Yeah, tell us yeah. Like, what your solutions are. Well, the very first thing is the number one barrier to retail for small farmers is a lack of access to USDA slaughter. Either you're too small to get into the large plants, you don't have enough volume, or the cost is prohibitive because you don't have large volume. And so your profitability is taken out by the cost of per head to have them slaughtered and cut and wrap. Um, second is they're used in the state of Florida. There's only 15 USDA slaughter facilities and very few of them take small ruminants. And the stress on the animals from having to take them from point A and drive them to where these big plants are, which are generally outside of major metropolitan areas. So if I'm, if I'm up in a part of Florida and I have to drive 100 miles to get to a place or more to get to a place where my animals can be slaughtered under USDA, it impacts the quality of the meat, the stresses, the stress hormones that the animals are, um, are have because of the traveling and because of getting to slaughter, it can impact the quality of the meat. So my idea, my, what I'm working on actively is having mobile slaughter units that I lease to custom exempt facilities mm -hmm. to allow them to um, have a low risk entry to um, USDA. It, it, the, the idea being that I'm bringing the, the, the slaughter facility to the local community where these uh, livestock are produced. And a lot of the local communities have small custom exempt um, slaughter facilities. That means they're not processing under USDA. Sure. And for those small slaughter facilities to get into USDA inspection, it's very cost prohibitive for them to retrofit their existing facilities to have them 
meet the criteria for USDA inspection. Sure. So it helps the farmers because if they can go to a place in their local community, uh, it helps them. They don't have to drive that distance. It helps the local custom exempt facility get into, diversify their operations um, in a less risk-free way. Um, and it helps me as the, the person who owns the assets, the mobile units, it helps me with, um, that's my business model. Mm -hmm. So I can either bring them to small farmers mm -hmm. or I can work with local custom exempt facilities and be on, because with USDA inspection, you have to be on a schedule. You can't just say, hey, tomorrow I'm gonna be here. Can you come and meet me there? You have, you have to schedule this out. So by being able to move my unit around um, the state of Florida and on a, a regular schedule, it allows me the opportunity to be able to have USDA there when I need them. That's very interesting. And how many, how many units do you see like Florida needing? Oh, it's a big state. Oh. It's a big state. I would think they would have, would have to be one in the Panhandle. Yeah. One in the kind of the North Central Florida area. One down in the South Florida area. But a lot of the ones in, in South Florida, there's a lot of commercial um, livestock production. Okay. Um, so initially, I want to focus on the Panhandle and Central Florida. I've had, I, di I just recently received a SARE grant, um, Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education, um, mm -hmm. a SARE grant. And some of the reviewers' comments were, oh, we also need this in Georgia. We also need this in Alabama. And so my, my, they, my model is, is to be able to, to go throughout the Southeast with this. Right, right. That's super interesting. And so what do you see as the impacts on the community from the work that you're doing? Uh. Sure. I've actually talked to um, our, work, our local working foods um, mm -hmm. group and they have, a, they have recently received a grant. They have a commercial kitchen and they're working with other small producers and livestock producers and they're really excited about the opportunity to get a mobile unit because this, when I, when I applied for the SARE grant, it's already known that this is an issue. It is, it is not, everybody knows that we need more access to USDA slaughter. Mm -hmm. And so having the ability to have something like a mobile unit, a solution that works in their local community that everybody can access. Uh, they're very excited about this prospect. Um, I'm very excited that they're very excited um, because there is a real need. And so it's helping, it's helping the community. It's helping the local consumers that, that would, so it's, it's broader than just um, me and it's broader than just farmers. It's the community that benefits as well. We have very robust um, farmers markets in our area. Mm -hmm. And, and so being able to supply the farmer's market with particularly small ruminants. Um, I, we have a diverse culture in the state of Florida. We, it, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm thinking about small ruminants and goats in particular, we have immigrants from the, the largest growing population of immigrants are from countries that eat goat meat. Sure. So they're looking for it here. They're, we're sourcing it from Australia, frozen. We're perfectly capable 
it's it's amazing to me. In 2017, we imported $207 million worth of goat meat from Australia. We know how to grow beef. We know how to grow hogs. We know how to grow poultry. We're very good farmers. Why aren't we growing? Why aren't we doing goat meat? If we have a demand that's not met, and part of that is $207 million from Australia, and it's coming in frozen on ships, why aren't we in this game? You know, I have to say, not a whole lot of things surprise me, but that surprises me. Yeah. I mean, the East Coast of the United States is like, you could, there's, there's like no better land to grow goats. Exactly. Than where yeah. you are in Florida and where I am in Maine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing to me that, and then, of course, when we talk about local sustainability, Australia had their challenges this past year with, with fires. A lot of, and they get their, a lot of their goat is sourced from the feral population. So if you have anything that interrupts the supply chain coming in, all of a sudden that's going to cost more. You're going to get less of it. So there is this demand that already exists. Right. How do we domestic producers meet that demand? And, and so what, and that's not just goat meat, that's grass fed livestock, that's antibiotic free. There's populations that want certain things that we're perfectly capable of providing. We just have to rethink how we do things. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of, that makes a ton of sense. So now, when we talk about being able to pro provide all of this, can you talk a little bit about some of the common myths, especially from maybe the perspective of the consumer, um, but also from the perspective of the aspiring local food entrepreneur? Sure. I, and that's a, actually, that's a great question. Um, I was married to a man who said he would never eat anything that didn't come prepackaged in our local grocery store in Publix, okay? Wow. That was his, his um, experience with food. Mm -hmm. That if, it, if the local grocery store didn't sell it prepackaged, it wasn't fit to eat. And so now Publix does sell goat meat in South Florida. Costco sells whole goats. Um, and, and I think you, the, the way you, you combat that thought, and I don't think it's a thought that's isolated to just a few in, individuals. If your experience with food is only what's been presented to you in the grocery store, then, then you really don't know what all is out there. But the way we combat that is transparency. Transparency and telling the story of local production. And I think that is the key. If I could put a, um, what is it called? A QRC code? Is that what it's called? QR. On, every, on everything that you got at the farmer's market and tie it into, um, use your smartphone, hit it and the, a video of the local farmer and their, uh, and, and their production system could show up so you can see where your food comes from. I think that would be so enlightening. So it's up to us to be transparent as producers. And it's up to us to tell that story. Right. And I think that's how you mitigate that. That I love that. I love, you know, I talk to people a lot about how your story sells. Mm -hmm. And we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with David Lemley, who does branding and, and, and marketing in local sustainable food. And it's all about the 
it's all about the story um, yeah. and, and really tying your markets together with a story. So on that sort of, on that sort of note, it sounds like at least one piece of advice you would give to aspiring entrepreneurs is to really understand and know your story. What are some other pieces of advice you would give? Sure. Aspiring? Um, really be connected to your local community. Use your extension agents. If you have a, um, a land grant university and they have extension agents all over, utilize that. You know, one of the things that, that makes, that makes me maybe a little unique in this space is that um, we lived in a very um, socioeconomically depressed area of Florida. Mm -hmm. And we really depended on our extension services mm. to um, do the best that we could uh, to feed ourselves, to, to, to sell if you had excess. And I think being really connected to your extension services, that's their job. Their job is to help you as a producer. And it's not just livestock production, it's other parts of the, the supply chain in agriculture. It's not just the production, but how do you market what you're doing? So I think it's the, the, the number one advice I would be give is to take advantage of free resources that are out there, such as your extension agencies, um, because there's an awful lot out there. That's their job is to help us. Let's utilize their services um, to our fullest advantage. And to, to partner, get into a group of others that are trying to do the same thing you are. Um, that is very important. And take the initiative to learn as much as possible. Um, I, I believe those are the keys to, to doing this. I think that's amazing. And I will also put in a plug for cooperative extension. Uh, you know, I love extension. <laughs> and I think that what people don't realize is, is how hard we have to fight for their funding. And so <laughs> like, if you believe in local and sustainable agriculture, one of the things that you can do is you can call your, congr your, your Congress critters, as we call them, and say, hey, cooperative extension's really important to me. And when budgeting season comes up, especially if you have somebody in your representation who sits on ag appropriations and either the Senate or the House and say, hey, it's incredibly important that we fund cooperative, cooperative extension because half right. of their funding comes from the USDA. Uh, right. And it, and it is so vital. And, you know, um, one of the, I think the biggest driver for um, local food and, and sustainability are millennials. You know, they're the population that are out there going, no, I don't want to eat industrial food. I want to know where my food comes from. I want to have, I want to feel like I'm connected to what I'm eating. Um, and, I, and I really think that the millennials have really pushed um, the local food movement. Um, and thank you to them. Uh, that they're, and that's what's making this point in time um, kind of ripe for doing this. I totally agree. I also think that Gen Z coming up behind them, which is an even bigger population, Gen Z is actually bigger than the boomers, right. um, is also making 
making this push. Uh, right. So I think those are very important. I think nobody, not a whole lot of people are thinking about Gen Z as a target market for our foods yet, but it, that that's going to change. You know, right. I mean, they're all Absolutely. getting out of college. They're all getting out right. of college right now, and they're very. They're all going back home, like literally as we speak. They're all going back home right now and trying to take right. all of this social responsibility that they have really taken into their heart back home to their communities rather abruptly like they didn't mean to be going home but right going yeah. To New York city yeah <laughs> yeah you know and i think it's important to develop them as develop gen z as a target market so what um so you talked about Cooperative Extension as a resource. Are there any other resources, any books or um, meetings that you've gone to? Like, what resources do you right. um, do you recommend for people who are getting in? Even if you just want to talk about life in the small ruminant world. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, we have our historically minority university is Florida A&M University, and it's over in Tallahassee. And they have, they put on yearly um uh, a master's uh, production in uh, small ruminant production program and i did that at the same time i'm a student at uf i decided you know if i really want to get into this game i need to understand how the experts are doing it and so i went over the summer up there and traveled on weekends to take part of this in this program and um so that was very helpful of course the joel salatins um when I was growing up, my parents had, I don't, I'm aging myself, but they had the Firefox books. I don't we know have if you've heard of that. Okay. So, so that's kind of what has shaped my mm -hmm. perspective on this. Um, but there's plenty of information out there. There's, there's, I think if you just Google sustainable agriculture or regenerative agriculture, you'll hit on a bunch of things but use the resources the extension agents the universities the um the programs that are available those are also so good there's a something called slow money that's taking kind of and and i've been approached to put together a proposal um for a slow money grant so there's a lot of people working on different ways to tackle the problem with um local farming with um older farmers mm -hmm. uh, not having kids that are interested in farming sure. um, with young farmers or seasoned people uh access to land um how can we work cooperatively to to keep ag land in ag so that we can so it's 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 a multi-level um issue where there's a whole bunch of information in in each level um but you know the tried and true google that when i was doing my business plan um i would spend hours just and one lead would give me another lead which would give me another lead which would it's so you, you just kind of have to you have to take the time to do it um but but there's information on usda has no information on meat goat they have a they have a code for the meat goat industry but they don't have any in, they don't have any information because we don't have a lot of meat goat farmers mm -hmm. uh, nationally um 
So there's, there's use information from, if you're doing something, you know, kind of out there like meat goats, use something that uh, other in livestock that you can make a correlation with, and that would be beef, hogs, you mm -hmm. know, those things. So, uh, yeah, there's, I can't give you a single thing that I've done, but I'm informed by, like I said, Joel Salatin, um, the Firefox, just, and other producers, mm -hmm. uh, other entrepreneurs in this space. Yeah, and I think that, so just so people are clear, that's Joel Salatin of Polyface Farms, and he's in Virginia, though I'm sure everybody who listens to this knows who Joel Salatin is. Um, exactly. And then those Firefox books, uh, you may not be familiar with, but this is, uh, these are absolutely amazing. It's like a 14 or 15 volume series, and it was started by a high school English teacher in Rayburn Gap, Georgia, which is like where the, the Appalachian Trail starts. And he realized that his kids were completely disengaged in school. And he started this as a way to get the kids to learn how to write. And they, what they did was they recorded the histories of their grandparents and how to live off the land in Appalachia. And they're beautiful, beautiful books. Um, and that's my parents, um, my father was in the military and um, our, his last duty station was in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's why we moved to Florida. And he came from a rural background and he wanted his, he didn't like the life we were living on post and what we were being exposed to. And so they bought the property so that we can run around, you know, it was a, it was, a, it was actually a very a beautiful gift to give children the, um, the, opportunity to be kids and to experience um, agriculture mm -hmm. in a way that other people don't get the opportunity to do. So um, you, one of the, when I wrote the grant for the, the proposal for the SARE grant, I um, used some of the money that I won in the business plan competition to hire a, um, a professional agricultural grants writer consultant. Mm -hmm. I figured I'm gonna give myself the best shot at being able to get this producer's marketing grant and it would be money well spent. And one of the first things she asked me is, because she was a little, she didn't know anything about my background, she goes, have you ever even slaughtered an animal? And I started laughing because yes, you know, even though I do this, even though I'm in regulatory affairs sure. for university as my day job, there's this part of me in my past, I was, we, we slaughtered our own animals. We processed our own animals. I was on the meat judging, which remarkably, this is so funny when I think about what I'm trying to do now. I was on the meat judging team in 4-H. I was on the livestock judging team, both beef and, and, um, and hogs and horses. Um, so there's this, this part of my past. It's almost like it's come full circle. Mm -hmm. You know, I've just kind of built on this agricultural background with regulatory affairs that informs regulatory affairs in food. And so it's kind of this, this circle, this really cool circle that I'm completing with doing this business. That's amazing. I love that so much. Okay, so knowing that circle, as we finish up uh, here on the, on the interview, what uh, would you say to somebody who's feeling daunted <laughs> and they're in this journey and they're in 
either the muck or the grind or they're afraid to even start. <laughs> so right. no, yeah. Start. Uh. No, that's great because recently um, one of the program directors in this uh, entrepreneurship program and I'm in, um, we were sitting down for a meal and I said that one of the things that I struggle with is self-doubt. You know, I know I've accomplished um, a lot getting to this place. I've, I've been successful in the business plan competition. I've successfully um, secured a, a, a grant, uh, mm-hmm. agricultural grant. Um, but there's moments when I'm just um, almost crippled with who do I think I am that I want to do this, you know, and that, that, and that fear. And, and I tell myself, why not me? Mm-hmm. If I don't do it, who else is going to do it? And there's, there's something to be said for um, being able to push back that fear and stuff it down and, and say, stand up and say, well, why not me? You know, mm-hmm. I, can, I can do this. I've, I've done all this so far. Yes, I'm having a momentary um, crisis with self-doubt and fear. But I know that this is just that part of me trying to keep me from doing what I really want to do. And to be able to, to stuff that down and wake up the next day and say, okay, what's the one thing I can do today that's going to move me, for, that's going to kick the can further down the road. And sometimes it's just that. You have to get up and say, what one thing can I accomplish today that's going to make this real, more real for me and keep me moving in the direction I want to move in? I think that's, um, that's what I would tell people is tomorrow's another day. Sometimes you're just overwhelmed with today. Okay. Right. Go to bed. Tomorrow's another day. Right. Think about that one thing you can do because once you've completed it, Oh, well, look how much I've accomplished. I can go further. And sure. I think that's, that's the important thing. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. That was amazing. Well, I think that's a beautiful place to end it. Thank you so much, Sheila. If people want to get me. in touch with you and are interested in your ideas or in the Southeast or are mm-hmm. working on mobile slaughter um, projects and that sort of thing, is there a way people can get in touch with you? Yes, I do have a webpage. It's um, redbootgoatfarm.com. And my and feel free to email me. It's sm.austin11 at gmail.com. There you go. All right. So this was Sheila Austin, the Red Boot Goat Farm. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Have a great afternoon. Okay. You too. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Be sure to join us in The Proofing Box, a private Facebook page for food producers filled with valuable information and technical tips. Grow your business by learning from people just like you, all under the guidance of a food safety expert.